Chapters twenty one and twenty two of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty one. Enough that I can live. As Clara Arden anticipated, dinner was late that evening at River Lawn. It was nearly half past eight when Mr. and Mrs. Arden and Daisy met in the drawing room. The cook was angry, and the butler had been waiting for nearly half an hour to announce dinner you are looking so pale and so tired ambrose mrs arden said as they seated themselves in the light of the large central lamp supplemented with clusters of wax candles a light in which she could see the colour and expression of his face better than in the chastened lamplight of the drawing-room i don't think that i am any more tired than usual he answered you know what your fashionable physician said of me you must not expect me to look particularly robust he said that you were not to do much brain-work ambrose and you have been doing nothing else since he saw you old habits are not so easily put off as doctors pretend to think they tell the drunkard he must leave off brandy and they tell the scholar he must live without books with just the same admirable complacency as if they were asking very little i'm afraid we ought to leave berkshire pursued his wife looking at him anxiously i am sure that you will be better away from your books i shall be ready to leave my books when my own book is finished i am nearing the end when that is done i will go where you like it is not where i like but where you like she said sadly i am happier here than anywhere else then let us stay here till the end of our lives you know what horace says daisy a man may change his surroundings but not his mind no no i am not selfish enough to keep you here said mrs arden when i see you dispirited and out of health we will go back to london we will go to italy anywhere there was a silence after this daisy being more thoughtful than usual and not offering any diversion by the girlish prattle with which she usually brightened the meal whether her heart was light or heavy no word had yet been spoken about cyril's absence the butler had quietly removed the cover laid for him and the chair in which he was to have sat but nobody mentioned his name till nearly the end of the meal when clara said rather nervously cyril is dining out i suppose he has gone to london ambrose arden answered quietly he is not coming back to-night clara looked at him wonderingly as he answered had cyril told his father that his engagement was at an end she could hardly believe that her husband would have taken the blow so calmly it was left for her she thought to tell him of his disappointment daisy slipped away to her own den as soon as she was free to leave the dining-room and mrs arden entered the drawing-room alone and sat there waiting anxiously for her husband to rejoin her it was very seldom that he lingered in the dining-room after his wife left him but this evening he was sitting in an abstracted mood at his end of the table and did not stir when mother and daughter rose and went away it was perhaps the first time that he had ever allowed his wife to open that door for herself when he was in the room absent-minded and dreamy by temperament he had yet rarely failed in courtesy to the woman who was to him this world's one woman he sat with his head bent over the empty dessert-plate and the untouched glass of claret which the butler had filled he sat brooding in the lamplight for nearly half an hour and then with a deep-drawn sigh he rose slowly and went to the drawing-room where his wife was sitting by an open window looking out at the moonlit water very sad at heart he went over to her and seated himself by her side cyril is gone from us for good clara he said i suppose you know that i know that all is over between him and daisy but i thought you did not know 
i feared you would not be able to take the blow so quietly knowing how pleased you were at their engagement i was pleased because it was a link that drew me nearer to you it was of our union i thought not theirs nothing can touch me clara while i have you did he tell you why he and daisy had made up their minds to part yes he told me his reasons and hers you will blame my daughter for fickleness i fear ambrose blame her blame daisy your daughter and my pupil why she was the bond between us years ago when i was but the stranger within your gates my love for your daughter is second only to my love for you his wife took up his hand and kissed it in a rapture of grateful affection how good you are to us ambrose she said softly harsh words never fall from your lips if i could only see you happy my heart would be full of content i am happy clara happy in having won my heart's desire what can a man have in this world more than that the one desire of his life the boon for which he has waited and longed through years of patient silent hope if there is happiness on earth i have attained it i believe your metaphysicians teach you that there is no such thing as happiness oh they only preach the gospel of doubt the whole science of metaphysics consists in the questioning spirit which analyzes everything without arriving at any definite conclusion about anything poor cyril sighed clara after a pause of contemplative silence which seemed in harmony with the stillness of the summer night and the beauty of the moonlit landscape garden and river meadow and woodland and dark church tower poor cyril she repeated it seems so sad for him to leave us to go out into the world as a wanderer and yet it would be impossible for our old life to go on now that he has broken with daisy no the old life would not be possible it belongs to the past already did he tell daisy where he was going to australia he said he consulted with you as to his destination no doubt no he told me he should go away but he did not enter upon his plans poor fellow he was very unhappy i fear he did not confide his sorrows to me he had made up his mind and it was not for me to try to change his resolution his whole manner altered as he spoke of his son there was a hardness in his tone that surprised and grieved his wife who a minute before had done him homage as the most admirable of men his manner in speaking of her daughter had expressed the utmost tenderness the tone in which he spoke of his own son was stern almost to vindictiveness clara feared there had been a quarrel between father and son and that ambrose arden had resented the cancelment of daisy's engagement with an unjust wrath you must not be angry with cyril she said softly i fear that it is daisy's fickleness that is the beginning and end of our disappointment she owned as much to me poor child she gave her promise too lightly and repented almost as soon as it was given although she had not the courage to confess her mistake well we will say it is daisy's fault or that both are fickle there are no hearts broken i believe cyril goes out into the world a stranger to us henceforward not a stranger ambrose your son will always be dear to us both he will be in australia where our love or our indifference cannot touch him there was a bitterness in his tone which warned clara to pursue the subject no further she could not doubt after this that there had been a breach between father and son that these two who had been so fond of each other and so proud of each other hitherto had parted ill friends and it was all daisy's doing poor little feather-headed daisy who should have been a bond of union but had become the occasion of severance 
clara arden felt weighed down by inexpressible sadness as she sat looking out into the moonlit garden that garden which she and her first lover had found a wilderness and which he had made into a paradise for her sake it was her girlish admiration of that old garden by the river which had made robert hatrell eager to possess the place he had laid it at her feet as if it were a bunch of roses never counting the cost of anything which pleased her had it been ten times as costly a place he would have bought it for her his image was with her to-night more vividly than it had been for a long time it was as if he himself were at hand in all the warmth and vigour of life and that she had but to stretch out her arms to beckon him to her and oh with what a heart-sickness of longing and regret she turned towards that idolized image face to face with the inexplicable gloom of ambrose arden's temper she recalled her first husband's happy nature his joyous outlook and keen delight in life with him her days had seemed one perpetual holiday if she ever complained it had been because that energetic temperament took life and its enjoyments at a faster pace than suited her own reposeful temper but how bright how gay those days had been how frank and open her companion's face how expansive his speech and manner he had never hidden a care from her were his thoughts light or heavy she shared them and knew every desire of her heart but in this man this cherished friend of many years she had discovered mysteries he had griefs which he would not share with her he was angry with his only son they had parted within a few hours perhaps for all this life and he would tell her nothing of the cause of their parting he invited no sympathy he sat by her side in melancholy silence and she felt the burden of unhappiness which she was not allowed to share if he would only talk of his trouble if he would only let me comfort him i should be twice as good a wife she thought despondently it is not my fault if our lives are growing farther apart after this night an emotionless monotony marked clara arden's days in the house where her early married life had been so full of happiness and where her one great sorrow the sorrow of a lifetime had come upon her the idea of going on the continent for the autumn was not carried out the scholar's book absorbed him wholly in the waning of the year and he preferred the quiet of river lawn to the glory of the italian lakes or the art treasures of florence he spent a good many hours of every day in his old cottage study while his wife and her daughter lived very much as they had lived in mrs hatrell's widowhood your second marriage and my engagement to cyril seem almost to dream mother when you and i are sitting here alone together and uncle ambrose is poring over his books on the other side of the road said daisy as she sat at her mother's feet in the morning-room pretending to read lecky's england in the eighteenth century but looking up every now and then to talk i call him quite a perfect husband in his way never interfering with our plans never grumbling at his dinner always courteous and kind and ready to do what we like yes he is all goodness to us answered her mother and one would have nothing left to wish for if he were only happy i dare say he is happy in his way mother his calm philosophical way which used to soothe and tame me in my rebellious fits when i was a child he was always the same don't you know tranquil and rather mysterious like deep still water like lake leman whose depth one would never suspect if one did not see the mountains upside down in the water suggesting by their delusive shadows the real depth below rely upon it uncle ambrose has all he cares for in this world having you and his books and you give yourself groundless trouble when you are anxious about him her mother sighed but did not answer she had watched her husband's face with a new anxiety ever since cyril's departure 
and she had seen the lines deepen and the melancholy droop of the firm lips grow more marked no one at river law knew anything about cyril's whereabouts unless it was his father he had left lamford within a few hours of his interview with daisy taking with him only a single portmanteau as beatrice reardon informed her friend this young lady having a knack of meeting every fly that ever entered or departed from the village it's no use telling me you haven't quarrelled protested beatrice when daisy denied any ill-feeling between cyril and herself i saw the poor fellow's white face as he drove by acknowledging my bow in the most distracted manner and i never saw such a change in any man a few hours before he had been the gayest of us all on the tennis lawn and now he looked positively like his own ghost you must have had a dreadful row daisy we had no row as you call it we only agreed that it was better for us to part poor cyril i had no idea he was so desperately in love with you he used to take things so very easily remarked beatrice with all the freedom of friendship of course i always suspected you of not caring a straw for him you were not the least like an engaged girl you didn't spoon him a little bit daisy shuddered she was one of the few girls who are revolted by such forms of speech as prevail in some girlish circles miss reardon affected a fast and slangy manner as a kind of perpetual protest against the dullness and monotony of her life in a berkshire village she wanted everybody to understand that there was nothing rustic or pastoral about her mind or her manners this was all that daisy or her mother heard about cyril's departure he had gone to his chambers most likely where he could prepare at his leisure for that long voyage of which he had talked the greater part of his possessions his books and guns and sporting tackle of all kinds were in the albany he had his own man to pack for him and accompany him to a new world if he was so minded twenty two daisy's diary how peacefully the days have slipped by since poor cyril went away i find myself thinking of him and writing of him as poor cyril which is really an impertinence and i dare say by this time he is perfectly happy and has fallen in love with some magnificent australian girl a higher order of being like the gee in the coming race a powerfully built creature who can ride buck jumpers and camp out in the bush without fear of consequences i fear i have very narrow and insular ideas about australia which i can only picture to myself as one vast jungle tempered with convict settlements cyril is happy no doubt by this time sad as he looked on that day of sudden parting so i may allow myself to feel happy with an easy conscience i should be perfectly happy if it were not for the change in uncle ambrose who has evidently some secret grief some corroding care which he will not lighten by sharing it with his wife i can but fear that mother was right in her foreboding and that he has taken the cancelment of cyril's engagement sorely to heart it is his love for mother which is wounded he wanted a perfect union that we should be one household bound by every tie that can make a family circle indivisible it must be very hard for him too to know that his son his only child has been self-banished from his home and his native country if my fickleness alone had been to blame if cyril had found out my foolish secret and that the man who was nothing to me was a great deal nearer my heart than my plighted husband if he had broken with me on this account my conscience would hardly have been as easy as it is but i have at least the comfort of knowing that cyril had some weighty reason upon his own side for parting from me and that i am not actually to blame for the existing state of things it was he who took the initiative it was he who said all is over between us 
i have left off puzzling myself with idle speculations about his motive whatever his reason may have been i feel assured that it was very serious and entirely convincing to his own mind that he obeyed what to him was a stern necessity i can but be grateful to providence that has released me from a bond that could not have brought real happiness to either cyril or me and looking back now at the past i feel how cowardly i was in not telling him the truth about my own feelings he was no coward when the hour came in which he felt he ought to break with me there was no hesitation or wavering on his side and yet i believe he loved me better in that parting hour than he had ever loved me in his life before poor cyril old friend and playfellow i hope his australian wife will be kind and true and that his life in that far world may be full of all good things gold in monster nuggets sheep in mighty flocks horses that are not buck jumpers woods of eucalyptus groves of mimosa birds of vivid plumage and the most perfect thing in bungalows i am really very sad about uncle ambrose i think he fights against the gloom that gathers round him as a strong man stricken in the prime of life by some insidious malady might fight against disease and yet the gloom deepens with him low spirits seem actually a disease and i tremble and turn cold sometimes at the thought that his depression may forebode some mental malady which may darken all our days my mother seldom if ever sees him as i see him when she is not present when she is with him i know that he makes a stupendous effort to appear cheerful to seem interested in the things she loves but when she leaves him the mask drops and i see him as he really is a man weighed down by deep-rooted melancholy i have talked to him of the books i used to read with him the low-spirited school of metaphysicians and of heine who saw all things with the saddened eyes of a man whose life was like pope's a long disease we have talked of theology and i have discovered the hopelessness of his creed that for him there is nothing beyond this life of ours this poor brief life in which there are so many chances of being miserable against a single chance of being happy no for him there is no beyond for him the dead are verily dead i told him yesterday that i believe not only in a world where we shall meet our loved and lost and know them again and live with them in a better and loftier state of being but that i also believe in the influence of our beloved dead upon our thoughts and actions even while we are on this side of the veil that parts flesh and spirit that influence is only memory he said it has no other source than your own mind moved by your own loving heart i told him that it was something more than memory something independent of my own mind or my own heart an influence that flashed upon me when i least expected it sudden mysterious full of suggestions of another world i told him that there were moments in which i could feel that my father was with me that he was loving and pitying me in my weakness as a woman just as he used to pity me when i was a foolish child a delusion daisy he said a delusion like the rest of our dreams science has made an end of all such deceptions the belief in a spirit world was only possible while mankind remained densely ignorant of the world of sense i know now why you grow sadder as life goes on i said it must be so hard to feel that you are treading a path that only leads to a dead wall that there is no door in the great cruel wall no beyond thank god to me it is harder to believe in extinction than in a world to come a chain of worlds if you will a gradual ascent from this life with all its sin and misery to the highest form of life conceivable 
the most elaborate of those systems which you call superstitions seem simpler and easier for my understanding than the barren creed of the materialist that is because you are young daisy and full of enthusiasm and because you know very little of the world in which you are one happy atom a joyous mote dancing in the sunshine you think life is the gift of a beneficent creator who holds in reserve future lives fairer than his for those who believe in him and obey him that pretty creed comes naturally enough to you who know life only at river lawn and in grosvenor square but go and look at life in whitechapel put yourself into the skin of the women you will see there and then ask yourself about the beneficent creator the eternal wisdom who has made man in his own image your rose-water theories would hardly be strong enough to stand that atmosphere bradlow's vitriol better suits the district i told him that it was an old old argument that because there was so much misery in the world he that made it could not be a just god or rather that there could be no directing mind above the universe only unreasoning matter working out its own destiny according to material and immutable laws that the god who could be moved to pity was the god of children and visionaries only you talk to me as if there had been no misery in my life i said do you forget what it was to me in my happy childhood to see the father i loved go out of this house one morning and never to see him again do you forget what it was to me a year ago to discover the horror of his death if i could rebel against the power to which i have prayed ever since i knew what prayer meant i should have rebelled then i could not go on for the sobs that choked me at the thought of my father's cruel death uncle ambrose melted in a moment and took me in his arms just as he would have done years ago in one of my childish troubles and pressed his lips upon my forehead with a kiss that seemed like a blessing believe my dearest he said keep always that unquestionable faith which is the gift of the pure in spirit it is a second sight daisy it is a sixth sense it is given to the chosen few god's very elect to them it is given to conceive and understand the unseen they are the children of light be always of that happy race daisy my reason has nothing to offer in exchange for your clairvoyance remember always that if i could not help you to believe if i could not enter with you in the holy of holies i never taught you to doubt no no i have only known lately that you yourself were without the hope that has sustained mother and me in our dark hours he told me that i must not talk of dark hours that for me life was to be all sunshine and then for the first time he spoke of his disappointment about cyril and me touching on the subject very lightly and indeed not mentioning his son's name a little hint of your mother's has helped me to guess your secret daisy he said and i love you too well to blame your inconstancy your mother and i both think that mr florestan had something to do with the change in your sentiments something to do with my finding out the truth about my own heart i said and the nature of my mistake i did not love cyril less after i had seen mr florestan and found out somehow that he cared for me but i knew all at once that my love for cyril had never been the kind of love that would make me his happy wife i found out that he could never be more to me than a dear and valued friend never so much to me as you have been he could never be the first and one's husband ought to be the first in one's heart and mind ought he not uncle ambrose as mother's husband was i felt so sorry for my thoughtless words when i saw him wince at the mention of my father's name it was such a heartless thing to say as if he were something less than a husband as if he hardly counted in my mother's life i hung my head deeply ashamed of myself 
but feeling that any attempt to unsay what i had said would only make matters worse and then again words cannot alter the truth he knows that my mother has never loved him as she loved her cherished dead that the mere mention of my father's name can move a deeper feeling in her than all her second husband's adoring tenderness there was an awkward silence and then uncle ambrose went on gravely and quietly with infinite kindness i want my pupil and adopted daughter to be happy even if she cannot be bound any nearer to me by a new tie don't be afraid to trust me daisy remember i was your first friend after your father and mother and that you used to tell me all your thoughts and fancies try to be as frank to-day as you were in those happy hours when your doll used to sit in your lap and share your history lesson you have some reason to believe that mr florestan cares for you he told me so one day i faltered i was alone in the summer-house in the shrubbery alone with my books intending to spend a studious morning mr florestan found me there and sat down and began to talk to me and before i knew what was coming he told me that he was very fond of me and that he was sure i did not care quite so much as i ought to care for cyril and he asked me to cancel my engagement and marry him i was very angry and i told him that he had no right to form any such opinion about my sentiments and that nothing would induce me to break my promise to cyril yet you did break your promise very soon afterwards how did you come to change your mind so speedily this was a searching question and i felt that i was on dangerous ground cyril told me to let people suppose that i had broken our engagement and to tell the truth would be to touch upon his secret which he may have wished to keep from his father's knowledge oh the cancelment of our engagement arose on the spur of the moment i replied carelessly cyril and i were of one opinion that is enough child uncle ambrose answered kindly if florestan is the chosen man i think he ought to be informed of what has happened and that the lady he loves is free oh no 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 i cried in a great fright he mustn't be told anything why that would be putting me up to auction if he really cares for me his love will keep if he rushes off to propose to somebody else as i have heard of young men doing that will only prove that his love wasn't worth having let him wait and find out for himself that i am not going to marry cyril what an arrogant young person you are but i suppose you must have your own way said uncle ambrose only remember daisy that i want to see you happily married to the man of your choice before i die i want to be sure that i have done all for your happiness that your own father could have done had he lived to bless you on your wedding day the deep grave tones of his voice the solemn expression of his eyes as he turned them upon me made my heart thrill with love and reverence yes he is a good man a man in whose character i have never discovered fault or flaw you are not going to leave us for many a year to come i said indeed indeed there is no reason that my marriage should be hurried on yes daisy there is need i want to see you happy i want when i lie down on my bed for the last time and turn my face to the wall to be able to say to myself at least my little friend daisy is happy i have been her friend from the hour she learnt to read at my knees until the hour i gave her to the husband of her choice no father upon this earth could have been more careful of his daughter's happiness than i have been of hers perhaps in the last hours when mind and senses grow dim i may forget that my little pupil ever grew up to womanhood i may think of you as a child still flitting about the garden with streaming hair i may see you thus in the dim past 
and not recognize the real daisy when she stands beside my bed and looks at me with pitying eyes these sad forebodings made me cry and i kissed uncle ambrose and tried to comfort him and felt as fond of him as i used to be when i was a child i was glad that the old feeling came back for of late though i know always that he is my best friend after my mother we seem to have been growing further apart and i have had a curious sense of apprehension when i have been in his company as if there were some evil influence for me lurking under the gloomy cloud which has darkened his life to-day i felt only a great pity and a great love the old confidence and affection which used to fill my heart when i ran across the lawn of a morning to meet him as he came in at the gate i pitied him because i began to fear that the shadow that rests upon him is the shadow of a closing life and that it is some deep-rooted malady which makes him so joyless amidst our happy surroundings i fear that his own forebodings may be too surely realized and that he will never see the quiet long-spun-out days of a good old age this thought made me very melancholy after the serious interview yet it was a great relief to find that he did not disapprove of mr florestan as a lover for me who knows mr florestan may be as fickle as the inconstant moon and all that impulsive nonsense of his in the arbour may be utterly forgotten on his part though i remember every syllable i wonder what he is doing in scotland i think he ought to have shot everything shootable in argyleshire by this time End of chapters 21 and 22